are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. And will you notice carefully the reading of God's wonderful, inspired Word, the Word of God. Matthew 24, verse 27, to the end of the chapter. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a, sound, with a great sound of a trumpet. They shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. I don't believe there's a verse in the Bible that's meant any more to my heart personally than verse 35. Heaven and earth will, shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. You know, the word of God ought to mean more to a Christian than anything else in this world. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered in the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would have not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, 
This is what thousands of, of professing Christians are saying today. My Lord, the layeth is coming. They don't say it out loud, but it lurks within their subconscious being that the Lord has not come, and he will not come in their lifetime. My Lord, the layeth is coming. And shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Father, how we thank you this morning once again for the blessed, irrefutable, unerring, inspired word of the Almighty God, our Father. We pray in Jesus' name today that thou bless that word to the hearts of these people. Thou knowest the need of a blessing in every one of our souls today. We pray that need well may be met. May the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and suffered and died for our sins upon the tree, may he be exalted today. That one whom thou hast exalted, may we exalt him. And we pray that souls will be saved. Thy sweet will shall be done, and for all that's done, we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Now, I want you to notice with me as a starting place today for a message out of the Word of God. Verse 27, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And I want you to think with me this morning about the expression, So, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And I want to speak to you today on the subject, the Bible picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ. You see, more than once, in fact, several times, and I want to deal with these different times as they're found in the New Testament, more than once God has said in his word, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, God has said his coming shall be like this. And God has given us at least five examples, illustrations, demonstrations, pictures in the Bible as to what the second coming is going to be like when it takes place on the calendar of God. Now, this is an important thing. I wish I could impress that upon your hearts today. Sometimes preachers have preached on the second coming in an effort to be spectacular. I hope we are preaching today on the second coming because it is in the Word of God and because there is no more important doctrine to the Christian than the doctrine of the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It has more to do with the future hope of a Christian than anything else. You remember that the Lord said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 13, These things write unto you, because I don't want you to be ignorant, God said, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not as others which have no hope. The Christian's hope is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian's comfort in the hour of separation and death is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you ever stop to think 
Folks think about going to heaven, but they don't think about the second coming of the Lord in connection with going to heaven. But did you ever stop to think the only way for a Christian to get to heaven is through the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Those who sleep in Jesus in this hour will be raised when he comes, given a new body and taken to be with him forever. Those who remain and are saved shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and shall be given a new body and taken to heaven with him. The second coming of Jesus Christ is the Christian's greatest hope. I don't know of anything in the Bible that's more misunderstood than the second coming of Christ. And I say that with a powerful heart because I would not want anyone to think I could eliminate all that misunderstanding and that I know all the answers are from the Bible about the second coming. But I do know there's more misunderstanding about the second coming. There are more misunderstanding about signs of his coming. I firmly believe that the signs that point forward to the coming of the Lord do not point forward to the, his coming to rapture the church, but they point forward to his coming with the church seven years later. I think the signs related to the second coming of Jesus Christ uh, is one of the most misunderstood teachings in all of the Word of God. They point forward to his revelation rather than pointing forward to his rapture. I think the chronology of his coming is often misunderstood. You see, the Bible teaches we firmly believe that when the Lord comes, whether it happens the next moment, happens while I'm preaching, or happens a month from now, or whenever it happens, when the Lord comes, there will be a catching away spoken of by Christians as the rapture, being caught away to be with the Lord. That will happen before tribulation, before God's cataclysmic judgments are poured out upon the world. But all people do not believe that. They're mixed up, I think, some folks are, on the chronology of his coming. He'll come before the tribulation, not in the midst of the tribulation. Not following the tribulation, he will come to take and rapture his people before the tribulation ever takes place. I'm sure there's some misunderstanding about the people involved in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know folks who are foolish enough to say, our little group is the bride of Christ and the only ones who shall be caught away when the Lord comes. I believe every saved, born again, child of God will be taken up when the Lord comes. And if he were to come this morning, that's exactly what would happen. Now, I'm a Baptist by conviction and proud of it. I'm not a Baptist by tradition, but I, I came to that conclusion by the reading of the Word of God without the influence of any human being in the world. But I'm not fool enough to believe that only Baptists are going to be caught away when the Lord comes. I've met people, and you may not like this, I've met a few people, not very many, I've met a few people in Catholic churches, Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches, Lutheran churches. I've met a few people here, that remnant group of people who are saved and are born again and are blood-washed 
and have the testimony of the Scriptures that they're God's children when the Lord comes as my brother and sister. They shall be caught away to meet the Lord in the air. I believe all saved people shall be caught up when the Lord comes. There are many who do not know, I'm afraid, what the meaning of the coming of the Lord is. They think of it as some fantastic, some ethereal, some spiritual event that has no reality to it. But I would remind you, the Bible said this same Jesus, which you see taken from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. You know, I'm, I'm wanting with all my heart the second coming of Jesus Christ to take place. It is the great climactic doctrine of the Bible. It climaxes all teaching concerning Christology, all the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when they killed him and they crucified him on the cross, they said that's the end of him. This world will never see Jesus again. And they set the Roman seal and all the power of the worldwide Roman government to keep that stone from ever being rent and the Lord from ever coming from the grave. They said when he died on the cross, he died as a malefactor, a seditionist, a troublemaker, and that's the end of him. But God connects the glorious doctrine of atonement with the truth and reality of the resurrection. And when he came out of the grave, they said his redemption must be real. Let me tell you, this whole world, by and large, does not believe in the Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You and I met here to honor and worship and extol and adore this morning. But when he comes like a flash of lightning from the east to the west, and when he takes his people out of this world, that great miracle will climax all the rest of the truth concerning him and what he does for his people. Thank God for the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's the climactic proof for all the steam of Christianity. The Bible gives a complete and a divine picture of what his coming will be like. Now, will you let me be kind of childish with you for a moment? And will you let me illustrate something to you about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? It is one great drama. It is in two thrilling acts. These two acts are separated by a period of seven years. That seven-year period is called in the Bible by various terms. It is referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble because God, for one thing, will deal with a nation that turned their Messiah down and refused him. The first act of this great drama is his rapture. I'd like to think for you to think of all this side of my finger today, all that side of it, as the age of the church. You and I are living in it now. You and I are right here. I feel we're very close. That may not be, but we are somewhere here in this age of grace. When the Lord comes, this will take place, the rapture of the church. Every born-again Christian will be taken up. 
every unsaved person, religious or not, professing or not, every unsaved person will be left behind. This is the rapture. The rapture of only saved people, whether asleep in Jesus or living when he comes. This is the rapture. That side is the church age. When he comes and takes the saved people to be with him, there are two sides and two pictures. There's heaven's view, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the judgment seat of Christ. It takes place during seven years. There's heaven's view. Down on earth is the great tribulation, the most, the most awful judgment of God this world has ever known or ever will know. This is a space of seven years. I want you to think of this as the rapture, this as the revelation. That is, when he comes back with his church from the marriage feast, he comes back with the church. That's a very little bitty period of time in the history of the world. It only lasts seven years, called a week in Daniel's prophecy. Then the other side of this is a thousand years millennium, and then ending with another battle, and then the heaven shall come down, the new Jerusalem, out of the sky for the people of God. Now the Bible gives a plain and definite picture of what his coming will be like. Now I want us to see five times the Lord said, So, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. What's his coming going to be like? Well, in the scripture we read to you this morning, God said it will be like lightning in the sky. It says, As the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, I want to talk to you about the second coming, and I will not always distinguish between this truth and that truth. They are so closely related that in all the expanse of eternity, God only separates them by seven short, quick years. So I will not always distinguish between the rapture and the revelation. But it says here his coming will be light, like lightning in the sky. I remember many times, when I was a boy especially, and uh, when there were stormy times, I mean from a meteorological standpoint, when there were stormy times, the rolling of heavy thunder across the heaven would frighten me. And um, the flash, the fork of lightning across the black sky never seemed to bother me. One day, expressing my fear of that awful thunderous noise when it seemed like the whole heavens shook and the earth trembled, I expressed my fears to an adult. And the adult explained to me, thunder will never hurt you. And when you hear it, it's already passed. For it takes sound a while to get from where it originated to your ears. And when you hear thunder, young man, don't ever worry about it. It'll never harm you. It's already passed. 
It is already history. And they explain that zigzag lightning, that white flash, that electronic phenomena in God's heaven, that is dangerous and that can harm you. Let me tell you, God said, His coming will be like lightning that starts in the east, and that's the direction, in a sense, the Lord will come from. It will start in the east and cover the whole heavens and be seen clear to the west. If a one thing it proves, the coming of the Lord will be sudden. There is no further warning coming about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not claim to be a Bible scholar, just a Bible student, but I do not believe that the most brilliant converted mind in the world can ever find one iota, one jot or tittle in this Bible that must yet be fulfilled before the Lord comes. There will be no further warning. God has declared it in His Word that it is imminent. God has set it forth in His book that it can take place at any time. Well, lots of folks refer to this 24th chapter from which I've read from today, and they say, well, don't you know, preacher, that it says in that chapter, this gospel must be preached in all the world before the end come? Yeah, this gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, what it's talking about in this chapter, same gospel John the Baptist preached and Jesus preached, the gospel of the kingdom, and the study of the book of Revelation will show you after the Lord has come, after the church is removed, after this imminent event takes place, the converted Jews, converted in a day, will take that gospel to the ends of the known earth, but not before the rapture of the church. His coming is imminent. Oh, so oftentimes we're called upon to preach funerals. Many times it's, it's of people whom we love just like they were blood kin, let alone spiritual kin, with aching heart and with tear-stained faces. We preach those funerals. But so often I say to my heart, there may never be a committal. There may never be a placing of this worn-out body in the ground. For the Lord will come, and he may come today. I would to God today the Lord could give us the truth of the imminence of his coming. That ere this service comes to a close, we file from these doors and enter our cars and leave these grounds. There may be the sound of a trumpet in the sky, the call from above, and the Lord may come. For he's coming, he's imminent, and there is nothing that hinders him from coming today. His coming will be sudden and without warning. His coming is a warning of judgment and destruction that will come upon the earth. It will be as lightning starting from the east and going to the west. I never will forget an experience I had of a good many years ago. When I had occasion to be with two other Christian men in the midst of a storm, and in the midst of that heavy storm, when the heavens were black and the torrents of rain fell and lightning flashed back and forth across the sky, someone came and said, Men, 
Your help is needed. Thou two people who've been struck by lightning. We ran through the storm and the rain, and they were lying out in a grassy field. A father and his sweet little teenage daughter. They were stretched out in the grass. Their flesh looked like it had been seared in a hot oven, and yet they were conscious. They were absolutely paralyzed at the moment. We covered them with every dry piece of cloth we could get. I saw the father lying there and the little sweet girl lying here, and I heard him say, Is my daughter all right? Her eyes were open. You could see fear written all in her face, and yet she was conscious. And we were able to say, Yes, you're both going to be all right. Don't worry. But they'd been struck by lightning. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the fear in the eyes. I'll never forget the very stench and smell of their body. Peculiar it was. I'll never forget the suffering, the anguish, the travail as they lay upon that soggy ground, having been struck by a bolt of lightning. Let me tell you, God said, as the lightning that flashes from the east to the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It'll be a time of destruction and judgment. You mark it down. God is cognizant of this world, and God is knowledgeable about how men live and how they've neglected him. God knows how he's been ruled out and set aside, and God knows that the same awful human nature that took this spotless, innocent Lamb of God and laid him on a cross and shed his blood and crowned him with thorns and covered him with spit and mocked him with ridicule. God remembers it all. And one day God's going to get even with this world. You say a God of love? Yes, a God of love who loved you so much that he gave his son to die upon the cross. His coming is sudden. It's a warning. His coming will be visible. Oh, don't think it's some mysterious fantasy no one will know anything about. Oh, no, his coming is visible. It is true the rapture is secret. The unsaved will not be able to explain it. Mothers will look in the empty crib when morning comes and say, What has happened to my baby? Men shall look at an empty place in their home and say, My wife is gone. Oh, the confusion, frustration, the tragedy, the awful turmoil that will take place when the Lord takes every Christian out. I saw, I was riding in a car of a preacher who picked me up at an airport some time ago, and there was a little sign pinned up in his car. said, Warning, if the Lord comes, this car will suddenly be without a driver. Make whatever preparation you feel is necessary. I sat there and just reveled in it. I said to myself, yeah, and thank God to be without a rider, too. I don't know what will happen to the car, and I couldn't care less. By the way, this day and time, you better not get too attached to your car. Two weeks ago today, when Miss Malone was down with the Mrs. Eaton in Providence Hospital, six o'clock in the afternoon, as light as it is right now, and she looked out on the top of a car, sitting down in the parking lot several times, she walked to the window. 
Six o'clock in the afternoon, she looked and was gone. Four days later, it was recovered completely vandalized. Completely. You better not get too attached to anything. And yesterday, she went shopping, Ms. Malone did, and set her purse, I think that's what you call it. She set her purse just like that, right down beside her, while she's shopping. And while she did, folks, somebody stole her billfold. And pray for me, folks, stole our credit card, too. <laughs> so she's without driver's license. And I don't know, I have mixed emotions about that credit card business. That might have been a good thing. You never can tell. I know a lot of guys going to go out here today and say, Oh, Lord, send some thief along to steal my wife's credit card. But when the Lord comes, God's people will be taken away, but it will be a visible coming. For Revelation 1-7 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. So when the Lord comes, it will be as visible and sudden and as destructive to some as the lightning that starts in the east and flashes to the west. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now I want to deal with one other thing about the coming of the Lord this morning. And time will not permit me to finish it, but... That is, the Bible says in this same chapter, verse 37, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. You see, the Lord's given us a picture, or pictures in His Word, of just exactly what it's going to be like when the Lord comes. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so, so, thus it means. In like manner, in, in similarity, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, in Noah's day, the warning was not heeded. Why, Noah preached just like I preached this morning. There's some of you sitting here this morning, this truth rolls off of your, rolls off of your heart like water off a duck's back. You don't need to expect that you're going to always have everybody hear you and listen to you, and believe it, even though it comes from God. Noah preached for 120 years. God had said to Noah, And my spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh. Yet his days, now listen to it, his days shall be 120 years. God said in 120 years, the end of flesh will come to me all flesh except that boat, that ark, is a picture of Christ. Those in it will be saved. All other flesh shall be destroyed. That's what God says about the second coming, that when he comes, only the saved in Christ will be taken, the unsaved left behind. But the warning was not heeded. That was the warning then the calamity, that'll be just like the second coming. And don't you expect that if people heard God say in 120 years, and that could happen in the lifetime, many people, they could have been living when that ark was started and living when that flood came. And yet they did not believe it. God said, I'm giving you a day of grace, a time in which you can hear and believe and be spared, 
before the judgment of God comes. But if you won't hear, and you won't heed, and you won't be warned, then you'll be destroyed. So, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. If men will not hear and believe and be saved, they too will be destroyed. Now, the very few were ready. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Very few were ready. First Peter 3.20 explains a little bit about it. It says, When once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, mark it, wherein few, F-E-W, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by the water, only eight. You say, Brother Tom, that's not very many. No, that's not very many. Eight is twice four. It's four times two. It's eight times one. That's not many. Eight. You say eight out of a generation? Yes. And it's never changed. Never changed. I remind you this morning, Jesus said that broad is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. And he said, narrow is the gate that leadeth to life eternal, and listen to it, few, same word, few there be that find it. I'm preaching to members of this church this morning. Some of you, God bless you, and I say it with fear and trembling, you're not saved. Few people get saved. Why, you know, I I wonder about these people uh, that never do anything Christians are supposed to do. And I wonder, are they saved? When others meet, they pray. When others give, they hoard. When others win, they're indifferent. God said, narrow is the way. And listen, don't ever think you bother me when you say, why, he's narrow. Brother, you've got to be. You know, the gate's not very wide. You're going to get to it. If, If you're not narrow... You're lost. Narrow is the gate that leads to life everlasting, and you can hear it or not hear it. I say it in love and tenderness. God said, few, not many, few there be that find it. And it's never changed. They, these people were living in materialism. You know, I used to read what it said about the people in Noah's day, and I was astounded. It said they were eating. And I used to say, now, Lord, you've said uh, that uh, the herbs of the field and, and meat and bread is good for man and so forth. And, and here you say these people were destroyed because they were eating. That word eating in the Greek New Testament carries with it a deeper meaning than that. It means gluttonous eating, and it means, and some of you fat fellows now don't get mad at me, it means, and I'll try not to get mad at me because this it's not true of me. Uh, but it means not only gluttonous, but it means habitually. That's all they live for. All they live for. They were eating. Morning, noon, and night, all day. Like the Pompeian people, they eat with the whole no more than with a goose feather. They tickle themselves, their throats, and, and, and relieve themselves of it. And eat some more. And some more. And the whole thing is, it's the body that matters, and nothing about the soul and spirit. God said they were destroyed. They were eating and drinking, and drinking is used in the same sense. 
That's an habitual thing. They refused to hear God-inspired preaching. You know what old Noah preached about? God's Word says in 2 Peter 2, 5, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. That's what he preached about. Righteousness! And you can't preach righteousness without preaching depravity. Noah said, You folks are no good. You lady in your fine furs and sweet perfume and your pink Cadillac, you're no good. You, sir, sitting behind your bank at the desk, your desk at the bank, or bank at the desk, either one doesn't matter. He, you're no good. You're lost. You're born with Adam in you. You're hell-bound. Your whole flesh is depraved. You're rotten. You're lost. That's what God said. The whole head is, the whole head is faint. The body is covered with putrefying sores, which have not been bound up, nor mollified with ointment. God said, all of sin comes short of the glory of God. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. There's none righteous, no, not one. Let every mouth be stopped, and the whole world become guilty before God. Noah preach righteousness. And you can't preach righteousness until you preach the privately. If you don't ever get lost, don't worry, you'll never get saved. If you don't ever know you're no good, you'll never know He is good. If you don't ever know you're really human in the basest sense of the word, you'll never know He is divine in the sublimest sense of the word. They lived in materialism. They refused God-inspired preaching. They made no distinction between the saved and the lost. And when God's hour came... God spoke from within the ark and said, Come thou and thy family into the ark. Not from without, but he's in there. And God is in Christ, and Christ is in God. And he says, Come to me. People made no distinction between the saved and the lost. They laughed at Noah like they laugh at you, like they laugh at me, like they've laughed at this church. They told all kinds of fantastic stories about the crazy old man and his big boat he was building in his backyard. How will he ever get it to water? When will it ever float? And how will it all come out? They were bent on evil, for Genesis 6, 5 says that every imagination of their thought and heart was only, only evil continually. No wonder God destroyed them, their immorality, their violence their lack of separation. And when they did finally believe in the flood, it was entirely too late. I'm sure that it happened when God sealed that door of that boat until no power on earth or heaven or hell could ever break it. When God opened up huge fountains out of the bowels of the earth and poured his Niagara Falls of water out of every one of them. When for the first time in the history of man, It began to rain, and for forty days and forty nights it never stopped. And when water began to gather around that ark of safety, men must have banged on that door and cried, Oh, God, give us a chance. Oh, Mr. Noah, we know now you're right. Will you open the door? Noah had to say, I did not close it in the first place. God did. I cannot open it. I can see in my mind's eye them turn and walk 
from the deck of that little boat, that outer deck, crying, too late, too late. Too late, they cried. Too late, they cried. And the heavens echoed, too late, too late. And God said, yes, too late. But it wouldn't have been too late. You had heard and heeded and believed. Now the door is forever shut. Too late. It's what the doctor said to the man recently, my very age, when he examined him, opened him up, and closed him up again and said, too late. You have three weeks to live. It's what the people say when they do not win their loved ones and all of a sudden they're gone. And they say, too late, too late, too late. It's what people say when they let sin rule their homes until marriages are broken and children are ruined and they cry, too late, too late. And it's what you will say when the Lord comes. If you're not saved, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.